I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Growing up in the mountains of North Georgia, camping and hiking were things me and my brother did so often it was second nature. So anytime Ryan and I had a break from school, we would head straight for the woods. We packed our gear, let our parents know where we were going, and that was that. No questions asked. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yes. We decided to camp about midways through Jack's River Trail in the Cohutta Wilderness, and it's a trail we knew fairly well, as we had used a few times before, to practice long hikes. We arrived at the trailhead around lunchtime, parked the car, got our gear out, and headed into the woods. We passed a few hikers as moved along and asked them how the trail looked, and the answer was always the same, wet. Jack's River Trail probably crossed the river 50 times as it went along its 17-mile-plus journey, and with the colder temperatures of late fall settling in it, was harder for the trail to stay dry. We moved deeper into the trail and started to look for a place to make camp. This is where Ryan and I made our first mistake. You see, Ryan and I have this rule. We don't camp near people if at all possible. 
call us paranoid, but the last thing we want is for someone to drag us out of our tents and into the woods, never to be seen again. So we always camped a pretty decent ways off of the trail and in the area that wasn't popular with overnight camping. Roughly two and a half hours or so, we found what we thought was the perfect place to set up for the two nights that we would be out. We came up to Horseshoe Bend and ventured about half a mile off the trail into a clearing and set up. We built a teepee fire lay for that night and pitched our tents on either side. After setting up and unloading, we decided to walk back to the trail and go exploring around some of many swimming holes Jack's River had to offer. This was during Thanksgiving break, and I remember being surprised at how few people were on the trail. Maybe it was the weather or the fact that this was early in the week, but there didn't seem to be anyone hiking much, less staying the night. Around five o'clock, Ryan and I headed back to camp to start our fire, make dinner, and settle in for the night. As soon as the sun began to set, the cold rushed in. We added more wood to the fire, sat close, and just enjoyed conversation. Ryan was two years behind me in school. I was a senior and he was a sophomore, but growing up we had always been close. We always hung out in the same groups, played the same sports, had the same hobbies, etc. Around nine, we were settled comfortably around the fire. I had just texted our mom to let her know we were safe and getting ready for bed, and I remember we were talking about dreading going to our grandparents' house for Thanksgiving and having the same awkward conversations we had each year with family we only saw on holidays when things started to get strange. We were no stranger to sounds in the woods, and these woods were full of animals, from deer to black bears and even the random wild boar. If you were in the woods enough, you learned to distinguish certain sounds, and what we were hearing I can only chalk up to as odd. What Ryan and I heard was what sounded like someone sneaking around slowly just out of eyesight. With an animal walking on four legs, you hear a tighter group of steps, but what we were hearing sound very distinct to what a human sounds like when walking slowly or trying to move without making much sound. I remember we both pulled out our flashlights and shone it in the direction we felt the sounds were coming from, but that is what was so weird. Whenever we would fix our lights on a spot we thought the sound were coming from the location of the sound, would suddenly change. It was as if there were multiple people walking around us. That's when the whistling started. At first I thought it was the wind, and I remember thinking, maybe the wind is just throwing leaves around, and what we are hearing is nothing but the wilderness around us. Ryan looked at me and asked if I was hearing that. I didn't answer and was trying to focus hard on each individual sound. Two consecutive notes with roughly a three to four second gap, and then two more consecutive notes over and over again. Ryan kept asking if I heard that, and I put my finger to my lips, trying to keep him from talking. The fear I felt was incredible. My jaw was tight, my fist clenched, knowing I wasn't ready for whatever was out there, if it was anything at all. The whistling continued for what felt like forever, but thinking it through was maybe five minutes when Ryan finally yelled out into the darkness. Hey, quiet! The whistling stopped. The crunching of the wood stopped. Nothing. I was pissed. I looked at Ryan with a what-the-hell look, and he shrugged his shoulders. I had to do something, he said. 
I just shook my head. We sat there in silence for a few minutes when the woods erupted with noise. Something or someone was running in a circle around our campsite. The whistling came back. Two consecutive notes with the same three to four second gap and then two more consecutive notes. How could someone whistle this loudly without cracking while also running? I was done. I stood up shining my flashlight in all directions, trying to catch a glimpse of whatever was screwing with us. Nothing. It felt close enough to touch, but we never saw a thing. That's when the movement stopped, but the whistling was still constant. It was so loud, inhumanly loud. I looked at Ryan and told him to call the police. Now this is the part I will never forget. The part I never liked to talk about. While Ryan was on the phone with the dispatcher and telling them our location and what was going on, I stepped around the fire towards my tent. Inside my bag, I had a six-inch fixed blade that I always carried and thought I would feel a bit more comfortable with it in my hand, more than just my flashlight. As I went to unzip my tent, trying to keep my eyes toward the woods, I heard some movement directly in front of me. I swept my light up in front of me, and for maybe two seconds I saw it. Whatever this person or thing was, it was about five feet up in a tree. Everything about it was long. Its arms, legs, neck, fingers everything and it was fast as soon as the light hit it launched backwards off of the tree i heard it land but it either jumped an impossible distance or landed in a thicket because i heard it but never saw i don't think i have ever yelled so loud i ran back to where ryan was and sat down he kept asking me what i saw but i couldn't answer i just kept thinking about what i saw Maybe ten minutes later, we saw a couple of flashlight beams coming through the woods and about three guys came into view, asking if everything was okay. I settled a bit and started asking them if they had seen or heard anything. All they said was they heard a lot of movement and then heard my scream, and that's when they headed in our direction. I tried to explain what had happened without sounding crazy, but it didn't seem to work. One of the guys walked around a bit and came back and said he didn't see anything. Ryan told them that we called the police, and roughly 30 minutes later, a park ranger showed up. Ryan and I tried explaining everything to him, but he just chalked it up to either a curious animal or some campers trying to mess with us. Either way, Ryan and I decided we weren't staying the night. We packed our stuff up and walked out of the woods with the ranger. He took our statement, and we got in our car and drove home. Ryan and I don't talk about what happened that night, but neither of us have been back to Jack's River Trail and will probably never go back. I was a park ranger in Yosemite National Park and have always been fascinated by the vast and wild landscape that surrounded me. There's just something about the deep woods, the sound of the wind howling through the trees, and the mystery of what might be lurking in the shadows that always put me on edge. One day I received a distress call from a group of campers who were lost deep in the woods. I was the closest ranger to their location, so I set out to find them. When I reached the campsite, I found the campers huddled together in fear. They told me that they had heard strange noises in the night and that they were certain that something was stalking them. I started to investigate, and as I walked deeper into the woods, I heard a growl that sent chills down my spine. I knew that I was not alone, and I also knew that I was dealing with something much larger and more dangerous than a mere bear. 
I soon realized that I was being followed by Bigfoot, a cryptid that had been rumored to exist in the Yosemite wilderness for centuries. I tried to run, but the Bigfoot was too fast and too powerful. It caught up to me, and I was thrown to the ground with a violent force. I was sure that I was going to die, but somehow I managed to get back to my feet and fight back. I was able to use my park ranger training to fend off the Bigfoot, but it was a close call. I stumbled back to the campsite, where the campers were still huddled together in fear. I told them what had happened, and they were shocked. They didn't believe me at first, but when they saw the damage to my uniform and the terror in my eyes, they knew that I was telling the truth. We eventually made it back to civilization, but I was haunted by the encounter for months. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, and I was constantly on edge. I was also consumed by the mystery of what I had encountered in the Yosemite wilderness. I've had a few unsettling experiences in the woods, but this is unquestionably the strangest one. I've been mulling it over for years and still can't come up with a rational explanation. A few details have been changed to protect my identity, but the story is 100% true. I apologize for how long it is. In 2018, my partner and I drove up to a national forest in Oregon for a day hike in early summer. The area was somewhat remote, but nothing too isolated. Hiking is huge in the Pacific Northwest, so there are plenty of other people on these trails at any given time, especially during peak season. Because of this, we chose a less popular trail in the hopes of getting some all one time. It was an approximately six-mile out-and-back, moderate-difficulty hike with a waterfall at the end. It followed a river and didn't intersect with any other trails. Simple enough, right? We were both experienced hikers in good physical condition, so we had no reason to think we needed anything but day packs with a couple liters of water and sandwiches. Getting back before dark should have been a piece of cake. We set out sometime after noon. At first we took it slow and meandered around the riverbank for a few minutes. I found a cool animal bone and we mused over what it might be. It was clearly a vertebra from a large mammal, so we guessed it was probably a deer bone. Because I'm a little morbid and like collecting things of that nature, I put it in my pack. That might not have anything to do with what happened next, but I feel like I should mention it since it was out of the ordinary. The hike to the waterfall was beautiful. We passed a few other people on their way back to the trailhead, but for the most part, we had the place to ourselves. We stopped a few times to look at wildlife or take photos of flowers. I was tracking our progress on my Fitbit, so I always knew how many miles we'd traveled and how much time we had before sunset. We reached the waterfall at about 3.2 miles, which matched what the map had said. I paused my watch and we settled on a large boulder to rest and eat our lunch. Another young couple was there with their dog. We said hello and then minded our own business. Here's where everything went wrong. As we packed up our stuff and prepared to leave, my partner Michael slipped off the boulder and twisted his ankle badly. The other couple heard his surprise scream as he splashed into the water, so they rushed over to help. The three of us hauled him back to dry land and assessed the injury. None of us were doctors, but we thought it was a sprain. The swelling had already begun, and Michael said the pain was serious. He could barely stand. 
Upon realizing this, the male half of the couple started backing away and seemed anxious to leave. I asked him if he could go get help, but he didn't respond. Neither did his wife. They both just turned around and started booking it up the trail with the dog trotting behind them. I called out to them in frustration, but they didn't look back. Needless to say, we didn't have cell service that deep in the woods, so we couldn't contact anyone else. We had to hike back. It'll be okay, I said to Michael. It's only three miles. You can do this. We shifted the water bottles and our modest amount of gear into my pack so he wouldn't have to carry anything and made decent progress. I was still tracking the hike on my Fitbit. After about two miles, Michael ran out of steam and we rested again. I told him to lean on me to take the weight off his injured ankle. Even though I'm a head shorter than him, it seemed to help. We're almost there, I said. Just one more mile. Despite the setback, we were in pretty high spirits. The sun was still up and the woods were still beautiful. We made light of our predicament. Michael joked that he can't do anything without getting hurt or breaking something and I comforted him. We both thought the ordeal was nearly over. Eventually I realized we'd been walking longer than expected. I assumed it only felt that way because we were moving at a slower pace. But when I checked my watch and saw that we'd gone farther than a mile, I started to worry. We were at 6.6 .6 miles total. That meant the walk back to the trailhead was longer than the walk to the waterfall. That couldn't be right, but I figured I must have made a mistake at some point. Maybe I hadn't started the tracker until we'd already traveled away as at the beginning. Regardless, the parking lot had to be around the next curve in the trail. But it wasn't. We went another half a mile or so before stopping to assess the situation. Over seven total miles and we still weren't back. What the hell? I checked the map of our hike on the Fitbit app and saw that there weren't any gaps. It was a straight line from beginning to end, with the line doubled back on itself, indicating that we were on the same route. But where was the trailhead? We talked it over and concluded that it had to be a glitch. Michael was adamant that we hadn't passed the trailhead, and we couldn't have taken a wrong turn because there were no other trails. Plus, the scenery was all familiar. We saw things we remembered passing on our way to the waterfall. It was definitely the same trail and well-maintained, too. A big, wide dirt track that followed the river and didn't veer off into the undergrowth. Losing the trail was impossible. At that point, we started to feel demoralized. But what could we do except keep going? Our phone still didn't have service. Michael was in a lot of pain and struggled to put weight on his sprained ankle. It was twice the size of his other ankle. He was sweating. I was sweating. The whole thing started to feel like a nightmare. When we went another mile and still didn't reach the trailhead, we panicked. Night falls quickly in the forest and we had little daylight left. We were almost out of water, had no rain gear or other food, and the only flashlights were the ones on our phones. Of course, we cursed ourselves for not bringing more supplies, but we were only supposed to be out there for a few hours. It was just a short day hike, and we had no idea how it could have gone so wrong. Out of desperation, I yelled for help. We'd seen no people since that strange couple had abandoned us near the waterfall, but I was sure that we had to be close to the parking lot. That didn't mean there was anyone there, but we were both so freaked out. I was willing to make a fool of myself if it meant rescue.
To our dismay, nobody answered. We were alone. In an attempt to get a grip, we reasoned that maybe we really had passed the trailhead we started at. Maybe we were so focused on keeping Michael off his bad foot that we'd simply missed it and were hiking toward the next trailhead. We were pretty sure that wasn't the case, but it was the only... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Only explanation that made sense. We were definitely still on the same trail, and though we couldn't be certain, it seemed like the landscape had changed. We no longer recognized any of the landmarks except the river, and that seemed to support our theory that we'd gone too far. We knew we weren't walking in circles. That wasn't possible. Should we turn back? We mulled that over for a few minutes. If we were wrong, backtracking would guarantee spending a night in the woods. Michael couldn't deal with that ankle forever. We decided to press onward. I'm not crazy, right? I asked. That initial hike was only three miles. We went three miles to the waterfall. Yes, Michael agreed. The entire hike was supposed to be a little over six miles out and back. We've walked a lot farther than that. We should have gotten back a long time ago. I don't understand what's happening. When night fell, we picked up the pace. Michael stopped leaning on me and limped down the trail as fast as he could. He later said adrenaline dulled the pain of his injury and gave him the motivation to continue. That part of Oregon is mountain lion country, and I'd just read about a lion attack a few weeks prior to our hike. Being caught out there in the dark was the absolute last thing we wanted, but there was nothing we could do about it. We were scared. Michael shone his phone light on the path ahead to make sure we didn't lose our footing, and I shone mine at the trees, scanning for cat eyes. I was crying. Fitbit said we'd hiked nine total miles. After 9.5 miles, we finally saw the sign for the trailhead and scrambled toward it. Relief didn't completely wash over me, though, because I expected we'd have to either hitchhike back to where we started or trudge along the side of the road for a few miles more. There was simply no way this could be the trailhead. It was three miles past where it should have been, as we climbed the short set of steps up to the parking lot, sweaty, thirsty, exhausted, and completely unnerved. I hoped to see a car. My prayers were answered, but it was my car. We were at the same trailhead. For a moment, Michael and I stared in shock. Our fear and misery were replaced by sheer confusion, and we just stood there. Then a twig snapped somewhere in the woods behind us and broke the spell. We hurried across the parking lot towards the car, and in those few seconds I felt an intense dread. 
The best way I can describe it is the feeling you get in a nightmare when something is pursuing you and you're trying to run away but moving in slow motion. Like your legs just won't cooperate and you know the thing chasing you is going to catch up. This is the only time in my life I've ever felt that way outside of a dream. We managed to pile into the vehicle and peel out of the lot. I was shaking. Michael was rambling about time distortion and dehydration and how we must have lost our bearings somehow. We got out of the national forest and onto the highway and it was a while before we encountered any other cars. I didn't fully relax until we made it back to civilization. Neither of us can figure out exactly what we experienced. Michael was on crutches for months following that incident and his ankle has never been the same. I still have the bone I found, but I keep it in a box because it gives me bad vibes. When we go hiking these days, we stick to the crowded trails. Whatever happened that day, we do not want it to ever happen again. A few years ago, a friend and I were camping near Squamish Valley River. It's usually a pretty busy spot, but it was a weekday and we didn't see anybody at all on the road to the spot. And there was no one camped at the spot, so it was just us. Anyways, we were sitting out by the river on the sand watching the stars before bed. The moon was full and it was following the mountain line as the night went on and suddenly we both saw this bright flash in the sky. It almost looked like daylight for a second. I have no idea what it could have been. I thought maybe a shooting star out of the corner of our eye. But it was so bright and literally lit up everything. Still a mystery to us. It was deer hunting season and my friend had gone into Sandium Lake with his pack mule the day before I went in on my horse to hunt deer for the weekend. It was misty raining on my ride in seven miles. I found his camp and set up my tent on the other side of the campfire from his tent. We looked around a little bit before dark and found somebody else's abandoned camp and picked up the trash they had left. They had also left a giant can of ravioli that was unopened, so we decided to eat it to spare the mule having to pack the extra weight. But we didn't eat it all, so we left it a few feet away from the campfire in the pot and went to bed. It quit raining and got clear and really cold. I could not sleep because my feet were freezing and, and I was so cold in my crappy sleeping bag. Sometime in the middle of the night I could hear the vibration of something with a heavy two-beat walk coming into camp. I didn't move a muscle because I was scared to death. It stopped right next to my tent and I could hear it breathing and soft growling, sounds and sniffing and smell it, not three feet from me with just this wimpy, thin tent fabric between us. I was freaked. I could tell from the sound it was taller than my tent and it got closer like it had bent over for a closer look. I had my rifle right next to me and gripped it just in case it tried to eat me. My friend was sound asleep the whole time. It stood there for what seemed like forever but was only maybe a few minutes, then walked away and it broke branches as it left. The next morning I could still smell it really strong. I told my friend about it and he said it was probably just a bear, but I know it wasn't a bear. They don't walk any distance on two legs and a bear would have eaten the ravioli. I have never smelled anything like that creature before or 
since, and my mom was a taxidermist for 30 years, so I know what the various animals smell like. I had just finished my tenth mile on a trail run through a narrow creek bed with vertical canyon walls on each side, without seeing a single soul. I was a couple miles out from the trail head when I came around a sharp turn and startled a big mountain lion. It froze momentarily, then jumped into the foliage, just out of view. Behind me was about fifteen miles of trail to loop back to safety in our course. The sun had just set and I wasn't carrying water or headlamp. My whole body started to tingle, and I started an all-out sprint forward towards the trailhead. I heard some branches cracking as I passed the spot where I'd seen it and sent my legs into overdrive, only checking over my shoulder after a few hundred meters as I hit a couple bends in the trail. No sign of the cat. After a mile or so of an all-out sprint, I came around another sharp bend and almost leveled a female hiker squatting to pee. She screamed in surprise and fell over as I slowed to tell her what happened. She looked puzzled and in disbelief, so I continued the last mile to the trail ahead without seeing anyone else. My brother and two friends were hunting by Troy Orr. At 2 p.m., when they heard a loud scream, that he described as like a cross between a man screaming bloody murder and a very pissed-off bear. The sound lasted eight minutes. It scared all three so bad that one of my brother's friends literally had to sit down and cry. Imagine that, all three men with high-powered rifles reduced down to little boys. My brother is the manliest man I know. He has hunted everything in God's creation, but even he was shook up. Now, my grandma used to take me camping when I was a child, and I did a girls' camp in the summer in the mountains when I was a preteen, where my friends and I would often wander off into the woods together. As a child, I played in the woods for hours with my brother. It was always fun and always felt safe and never eerie or creepy. Most of my time in the woods as a child and a teen was joyful, fun, and adventurous. I'd like to share another experience where a friend and I had a bad feeling. Others dismissed us, and there ended up being a reason why. When we were in our twenties, a friend of mine in D.C. organized a women's survivalist training camp for a group of our female friends, maybe seven, eight of us. I can't remember. I'd never been to West Virginia, but the land was beautiful and the roads were terrible. We had rented a cabin at a campground with multiple cabins on site, and during the day our guide and teacher would take us out and teach us cool things, like local medicinal plants or how to make rope out of milkweed. A West Virginian extended family was having a large family reunion at the same time, and two, three of their girls about elementary school age started hovering around our classes, to be around the big girls, I assume, so cute and they already knew most of what we were learning. We had a great time in the woods and on the land with no creepiness the first night, nights, I can't remember. On the last night, 
The owner of the campground had a big bonfire with hot dogs and marshmallows to roast and cider, and everyone who was renting a cabin was invited. It was after dark, and it was either a long-ish walk or a short drive, but on the campground land, so my friend A and I decided to walk. We were having a nice walk and a nice chat, when suddenly we got a bad feeling, and we both went quiet at the same time. We acted nonchalant, but glanced around to see what we could see. On our right was a cabin that looked deserted. It was totally dark, no lights on, no lantern out, but there was a single spot of light, the red embers of a cigarette burning. We could barely make out the figure of a man sitting there in the dark smoking. We stayed quiet, but picked up the pace. We checked in with each other once we approached the big house and were finally in the light of the bonfire. Was that creepy to you? Yes, that was creepy to us. Had we felt creepy before out here? No, we had felt calm and safe. The land hadn't ever felt creepy to us before, but the guy sitting in the dark had given off a terrible, menacing vibe, even twenty feet away, before we even saw him. We told some of our friends, and they just laughed it off and told us we had been afraid for no reason. It was perfectly safe here, they said. He was just another camper, probably with that West Virginian family. We were just paranoid, they said. Other than that, we had a great time at the bonfire chatting with other campers and with the owners, who were very nice. When it came time to call it a night, the owners offered to drive us back, and, uh, and I happily agreed, wanting to avoid another walk by that terrible cabin. We got back safely without incident, and the owners wished us good night. Now our cabin had two levels, the ground floor and a loft level. The ground floor was one big open room with a few beds, and if I recall correctly, a table and chairs and a fridge and maybe a stove. I was on the ground floor with about three other girls, and A was on the loft level with two, three other girls. I often have insomnia, and I did that night, so I just stayed awake in the dark while everyone else fell asleep around me. I was awake for hours just thinking my thoughts until I heard the crunch of gravel outside, like someone walking on it. I nudged my friend V, who was the closest person to me, via someone outside. V mumbled and told me it was just a deer and to go back to sleep. Okay, V was of no help. I got out of bed and crawled over to the window to see if I could see a deer outside, crunching on the gravel. I saw instead the red glow of a cigarette and could faintly make out the silhouettes of two men in the darkness. Now the cabins were not close together. They weren't far, but they weren't close. We were on a bend of the camp road where there weren't other cabins. The closest one was a short walk away, but it wasn't like running across the street or next door or next door or anything, and not visible behind trees and brush. Anyway, the closest cabin was far enough away that there was no reason for two guys to be smoking about 100 feet behind our cabin in the dark. I nudged V again. Best two guys out there. Shut up! It's a deer! Go to sleep! Now my boyfriend at the time had basically bought me all of our I.I. to go on this trip. Our guide had asked us to bring a large knife, and he had bought me a large hunting knife, but also a little camp hatchet. I don't know what I thought I'd be able to do with these, but I grabbed both and just huddled under the window in the dark, waiting. Suddenly a car alarm went off. 
All the cars were parked in front of the house. Groans came from the other girls. Shut your car alarm off. Whose car is that? It's not mine. I said, I think it's mine. Found the key fob and turned off the alarm. Silence. I sat in the dark and waited. Her car alarm went off again. The other girls lost it. I shut off your car alarm. I'm trying. She finally got it to shut off again. I crawled over to VV. There are guys out there and I think they're messing with us car. Shut up. It's just a deer. Go to bed and leave me alone. Okay then. The car alarm went off again. Ah, shut off your car alarm. The other girls groaned. She did. The car alarm went off again. Ah, what is wrong with your alarm? Go out and fix it. She turned it off. I'll go out there, but will someone go with me? I will, I said, and I'm turning the lantern on, so for your information. I came down the ladder. I went up to her and whispered, Ah, there are men out there, and no one will believe me. They keep saying it's just deer, but uh, I saw them smoking in the back. You can't go out there alone. I'm going to out first with a lantern, so at least we can see around the cabin. We put our shoes on, and I turned the lantern on, and opened the door, and walked onto the porch. Lantern in my left hand, hatchet in my right. I hung the lantern up on a little hook on the porch. It was very bright, and lit up the whole clearing in front of the cabin, and the whole little parking lot for the cars. For the moment, at least, we couldn't see anyone there, nor any deer. I tentatively walked down the front steps and walked around her locked car, trying the handles. No alarm went off as she tugged each one. She came back up the steps. Nothing. See, it wasn't a deer, I said. Even with you trying to get into your own car while it was locked, no alarm. Your alarm is not that sensitive. Someone was trying to break in. We went back into the house, locked the door behind us, turned off the lantern, and sat inside in the dark waiting for our eyes to adjust. I told me she hadn't been able to sleep as well and had been laying awake in the dark up in the loft, feeling uneasy before the first alarm went off. I told her I wondered if someone had tried to lure her out there alone in the dark and had been spooked off when two of us came with both an extremely bright lantern and a hatchet. We stayed there together quietly chatting in the dark for hours, waiting to see if anything else would happen again. The car alarm did not go off again. Finally, enough time had passed that we decided to go to bed. The car alarm was quiet for the rest of the night. That was our last night there, so in the morning we packed up, and I drove back with a... If a zombie apocalypse were to ever happen, I'd pick a my team because she listened to her gut feeling and worked with me as a team to keep each other safe. I write this to encourage people to listen to their gut feelings out in the woods. It could keep you safe.